Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. A colorful collection of native themes, pop culture, corporate logos, and sharp satire fill the canvases of Onondaga painter Frank Buffalo Hyde. Celebrities like Wes Studi and characters like Pee Wee Herman and Batman share space with buffaloes, powwow dancers, and teepees. Hyde is coming off an appearance on the competitive reality TV show Exhibit and has a new one-man show in Syracuse. We'll catch up with artist Frank Buffalo Hyde right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Jill Freitas from KMBA in Anchorage, Alaska, filling in for Antonia Gonzalez. Recovery efforts are continuing after the devastating Maui wildfires in August. Although many communities are coming together to offer support, the Native Hawaiian community is having to deal with threats of a new wave of colonialism on their ancestral homelands, according to a grassroots Native Hawaiian advocate. Community members have been displaced after their land, homes, and businesses have all been destroyed. Many are still searching for their loved ones. At a time when people are afraid, injured, or displaced, Camille Kalama says they're now having to fear that corporations and wealthy outsiders will try to take their land. And so some of the residents who were affected by the fires were getting calls as early as the week of the fire, um, offers to buy their land from real estate companies. And it's created and generated a lot of fear that there will be an exploitation of, of the disaster that happened and a new wave of development and, and outsiders coming in and utilizing this basically what's been termed disaster capitalism, trying to use and exploit the devastation uh, for profit. Kalama is the executive director for Ko'ihono, a local nonprofit organization and a board member of NDN Collective, a native-led organization advocating for indigenous issues. In August, officials released a list of a few hundred people who are still missing. Kalama says people are still grieving. So this community, while there, there are active relief efforts and a lot of support and supplies coming in, um, the community is still grieving and still processing what's going on here and what happened. As recovery and rebuilding continues, Kalama says native groups are urging for indigenous-led rebuilding efforts. She also says they're encouraging those who want to help to verify their donations are going to vetted sources. Northern Arapaho artist Robert Martinez combines historic imagery and modern themes to create work that speaks to contemporary Indigenous issues. His art is currently on display in Cheyenne. Wyoming Public Radio's Hannah Haberman reports. Robert Martinez is a Northern Arapaho and Chicano artist born on the Wind River Reservation. Some of his work draws on the Plains Indian ledger art tradition, blending past and present. After we were pushed onto reservations and we couldn't hunt buffalo as they were exterminating them, we would trade for or were given already filled out ledger books and we would paint and draw over the text in those. Ledger books were used to record accounting transactions. Martinez's art will be at the Laramie County Community College in Cheyenne until September 8th. For Wyoming Public Radio, I'm Hannah Haberman. During a recent ceremony, Navajo Nation lawmakers joined U.S. Navy officials and Navajo veterans to celebrate the historic christening of the USNS Navajo in Homa, Louisiana. The ship is a new class of rescue, towing, and salvage ships named in honor of the service of Navajo veterans and Navajo Nation co-talkers. Five ships have been named after the Navajo Nation, including the first ship, the USS Navajo that came into service in 1908, and the USS Navajo III, which served from 1917 to 1919. 
In 2015, the Navy notified the Navajo Nation Council that they were considering naming a ship after the Navajo Nation. Former Navajo Nation Council Speaker Lorenzo Bates, who attended the christening ceremony, says his staff worked with the Secretary of the Navy and late U.S. Senator John McCain to support the naming. The christening ceremony was attended by representatives from the U.S. Navy and Bollinger Shipyard, United Homa Nation representatives, Assistant Secretary of Tribal Affairs of the U.S. Department of Transportation, and other guests. I'm Jill Freitas. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Nobody likes a crowded highway. A crowded crib is even worse. For a safe night's sleep, use a fitted sheet only and be sure there are no toys, blankets, or pillows around your baby. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. Ready to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help with advice and resources. See what SBA can do for you. Go to sba.gov start. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. A new collection of paintings by Onondaga and Nimipu artist Frank Buffalo Hyde explores native pop culture, commodification, and appropriation. The new exhibit, Native Americana, is at the Everson Museum in Syracuse, New York. Buffalo Hyde is an accomplished artist who works, whose works found at institutions such as the Smithsonian Museum of the American Indian. He recently was a contestant on a new MTV reality series called The Exhibit, Finding the Next Great Artist. He joins us now as September's Native in the Spotlight. We'll talk with him about his work and the messages behind it, and we're glad to have you join us. Call in with your comments or questions for Frank Buffalo Hyde at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. On the line now in Northfield, Minnesota is Frank Buffalo Hyde. He's an artist art writer, and a muralist. He's a citizen of the Onondaga Nation, and he is also Nimipu. Hi, Frank. Thanks for joining us. It's great to meet you. Hello, hello. Good afternoon. I'm glad to be here. Frank, we got so much to talk about. Let's just get into it here. And uh, your style of art, uh, you've obviously worked really hard to create this style. You've been very successful. How would you describe it to someone who's never seen one of your pieces? Um, I mean, a lot of people, the easiest term for people to describe it as pop art, but I don't think of like pop art in the term that, you know, other people do. Like, uh, when everyone thinks of that, they think of like Andy Warhol. Um, I think more of, uh, the word popular, I use images that have a built-in narrative, uh, with them. So it's not necessarily like the reproduction of, um, mundane, like advertisement logos or, or things like that. Although there are elements of that in my work. Um, but I came up with a, a 
an expression um, like 10 or 15 years ago, just um, messing around. I, I, I came up with postmodern neo-expressionist Native American. And then I, I turned it into a fictitious indigenous word, pomonina. And people were just like, what does pomonina mean? So I was like, it's postmodern neo-expressionist Native American. <laughs> it works. That works for sure. So I mean, tell us more about this exhibit there at the Everson. What's the theme exactly of the Native Americana exhibit? Well, I, I started out by um, thinking like what, what I wanted to show. Syracuse is, in, is really close to my uh, reserve where I grew up, the Onondaga Nation. So basically, um, it's my hometown, and I, I really wanted to sort of up the ante and, and uh, sort of, uh, you know, push my work a little bit farther. So there's some um, art installations and some interactive pieces in there, um, but the theme uh, basically is, is Americana and Native Americana. Where, where does one end and one begin? Um, so much of uh, American advertisement and entertainment is based on indigenous iconography so i would you know it's a it's a study of that it's an investigation of you know the commodification of cultures and you know culture tourism and how we participate and don't participate in it and um so it's it's basically you know an investigation of that frank your work has been featured at many high-profile museums and galleries across the country. Is it nice to have an exhibit so close to home there in New York? You know, it really is. I mean, um, when the curator was, like, wanting to, to come up with taglines for the for writing and, and advertisement, like, homecoming, you know, I kind of, I wasn't, I wasn't 100% on board with it because when you think of homecoming, you think of, like, college and high school, like, um, you know, sports activities and time of year. But, um, you know, this last time I was home for the uh, uh, community day with the uh, Everson when members of my nation were there in support and, and did some dance demonstrations and our uh, Tadadaho uh, was there also and he did the opening. You know, it really, it really means a lot to have the support of your community. And, you know, you as an artist, we spend so much time in our studios, like alone, like in a vacuum, just kind of creating and putting stuff out in the world. And you kind of wonder, like, I wonder, I wonder what my community thinks about this. Or I wonder what my elders think of this. And so with a resounding um, show of support, it really, you know, it's uh, it's a feeling. It's a positive feeling that I'm going to try to hold on to, you know, from here on out going forward. This is really exciting. And for people who, who go to the exhibit, what can they expect, Frank? And what do you want them to go away with after seeing all of these new works? Um, well, when when you go into the exhibit, you're going to, well, I should preface this as like, this is not your grandfather's uh, Native American art exhibit. It's not your, it's not even your father's contemporary Native art exhibit. It's, um, it's work that's based on um, being indigenous at the beginning of the 21st century. So you're going to see some Astro sapiens, some indigenous futurism, um, there's uh, clips of my um, appearance on the TV show, along with all of the pieces made on the TV show. There's some interactive um, uh, pieces called Buffalo Jump, where you can you can control radio control some uh, all-terrain bison. 
around the track and make it go over a jump. And then there's also some snapshots of my um, um, growing up on the Onondaga Nation um, installations uh, titled um, uh, Bougie Native 1 and 2 um, about indoor <laughs> plumbing. And then there's, uh, there's also uh, some other um, sculptures. So, you know, the curator, to his credit, Garth Johnson, uh, didn't tell me no. I, you know, every crazy idea that I had, he said, uh, yeah, you know, we'll find a way to make it happen. So, you know, it's, it's not your traditional um, gallery museum show where everything is hung at a certain distance from the floor and space next to each other. Um, I really wanted to sort of change the way that people um, interact and view art. And, you know, some of the paintings are arranged in, in um, pyramids and inverted pyramids or mimicking sort of the shape of a teepee like along Route 66 when you see those um, those fake Indian villages, tourist traps, um, that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. <laughs> Not your grandfather's native art exhibit. Well, Frank, the way you yeah. describe it with the remote control bison, I mean, this sounds like a very interactive experience in that the guests will actually be a part of it, although participate in a sense. Yeah, it's starting to, you know, the past few years I've been including um, elements of uh, gaming and uh, virtual reality in my work. And I think, you know, it was the natural, the natural progression for me to start including some actual parts of that. And uh, during the community day, there was an element where um, people could come and um, contribute to a virtual mural during the day and uh, everyone was able to add layers on there. So in the future, I'm, you know, I'm going to go um, probably explore those installation type combination interactive uh, pieces more so, but, you know, not abandoning painting, but incorporating it and sort of maybe trying to push it to a, to a different level. And the feedback so far, how's it been? Uh, overwhelmingly positive. I mean, um, I think, you know, a lot of people weren't familiar with my work uh, in the Northeast and, you know, the people that have been there are pleasantly surprised. And I've had people that, you know, don't like um, pop art and, you know, they kind of immediately get turned off by that term. They saw my show and they said, you know, there's, there's enough of other things to keep them interested in uh, the work, but, uh, along with my narratives that it uh, sort of satisfied their, their art, um, uh, their interest in art so yeah i mean it's uh it's been positive and you know i think the only um negative from the show is that it's not up long enough but you know you gotta you gotta work with what you got so there it is now how much longer is it running frank uh it closes on september 10th oh gosh okay so just yeah. less than a week that away was, yeah we opened on the june 10th so it's got a, got a nice little run over the summer, for sure. Yeah, sounds like. Well, then, of course, the other big news here is this MTV reality show that you're a part of, the exhibit. How did that mm -hmm. all come about, Frank? And tell us a little bit more. Yeah, you know, I was minding my own business in my studio, and I got an email, um, a cold email from someone saying that they were, uh, they were a talent producer for uh, an upcoming reality show based on art and you know the first couple times that they emailed me i thought it was like spam or something so i totally ignored it and i didn't even answer it and then um finally um so 
somebody ended up messaging me on social media and then giving me a telephone number. So I, you know, I Googled a person that was a real person for a real company. So um, kind of uh, I started talking to them about that and, you know, um, I had to do sort of like a screen test with the, with the producer where they, you know, they recorded me for, I don't know, like 10 minutes um, and asked me about stuff and, you know, recorded my reaction. So, you know, based on that, but um, I was curious about how they selected me because, you know, in the age of the internet, I mean, I, I, I get inquiries all the time from any number of different resources. And um, so come to find out that the show was curated um, by uh, museum directors and uh, curators from across the country um, got together and um, out of so many artists, um, they, they came up with the uh, selective of, you know, the artists that were that we're on the show. Well, we're definitely going to talk more about this show, the exhibit. It's an MTV television show, as well as Frank Buffalo Hyde's other projects, his art, what inspires him. We're just going to have a really great conversation, learning more about Frank and uh, what got him so uh, turned on to, to this whole idea of creating this uh, neo-indigenous uh postmodern type of artwork that he has uh, coined. Uh, really cool stuff. Uh, check it out on our website, NativeAmericaCalling.com. We've got some pictures up there already, folks. So please, I encourage you to take a look. Or if you have a question or a comment for Frank, phone lines are open, 1-800-996-2848. We'll be right back after this short break. This is Sean Spruce, host of Native America Calling. You can listen in every weekday to hear the only national call-in show from a Native American perspective. We explore topics that range from traditional cultural practices to up-to-the-minute news that affects every American. We hope you can join us for the next Native America Calling. Did you know that bare space is best when it comes to your baby's sleep? That's right. When you keep their crib free from toys, pillows, blankets, and other loose objects, you can drastically reduce the risk of suffocation. All your little one needs is to be placed on their back atop a tightly fitted sheet to ensure a safer night's rest. More infant sleep safety information at cpsc.gov. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're joined today by artist Frank Buffalo Hyde. He has an exhibition at the Everson Museum and was recently featured on the new MTV reality series, The Exhibit. To everyone listening now, you can join this conversation with a comment or question by calling 1-800-996-2848. 1-800-996-2848. Frank, uh, this uh, MTV show is just uh, really, really cool and innovative. And do you have any favorite moments or, or most memorable parts from from being part of this project? Um, I think the um, on the show they had the the challenges were called commissions, and I think uh, the commission that I won was definitely a highlight of the show. It was the self portrait commission, and um, 
I don't put myself in, in my work that often. So I think it's probably one of like maybe four self-portraits I've ever done like ever in my career. And it was like a black and white, I, I really stylized painting. I kind of wanted it to look like a, the Metallica album cover and uh, you know the that Death Row poster for Tupac back in the day. So it was just really minimal. And then in the front of it, it had Indigenous Invisible sort of scribbled out and then uh, wrote over in stencils. And it was my comment on sort of the, um, the lack of inclusion in the in the uh, contemporary art world, um, you know, like in New York and other major markets. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that was the highlight, but also just the experience of uh, being in a studio full of like 10 cameras and lights and, you know, having to work with a time constraint and meeting other artists from other parts of the country. It was, you know, it was pretty, um, it was basically like an art residency. That's kind of how I took it. You know, it's, uh, it's something that's down in history for posterity and something that my daughter can show her kids one day and, and laugh at. So that's also part of the reason why I did it. Um, you know, <laughs> it's a record for her. Yeah. It, were you already like into reality shows at all? Or was this just like a completely new experience for you to be a part of this? I mean, I, I mean, I'm as, I'm into reality shows as much as anybody else. Like I watch them occasionally with my family and like throw stuff at the TV and like, what are you doing? And like, uh, <laughs> I could do better. So I figured, you know, if I got the opportunity, I, I would put my money where my mouth is and sort of, you know, go there. And I, I do believe it, it was important for indigenous people to be uh, represented um, on the show. And I, you know, I, I said, why not me? You know, absolutely. I, you know, you know, gave it a shot. Yeah, absolutely. Because I always, every time I watch a reality show, I mean, there's just so few native people on reality shows. And whenever there is a person such as yourself, I just get so excited. I just think it's about time, you know, because that is like so important that, that we just have more of a presence in, in areas like that, because they get so much exposure and people just watch them so intently. So uh, great job, Frank, really, really Thanks. proud of you and happy that uh you know, you were on a part of that show. And for anybody that, that hasn't yet seen your artwork, I mean, you just draw from so many different themes. There's sports, there's music, there's corporate images. And then you also um, make references to a lot of films in your work, like Ending in the Cupboard. And then there's a really cool image you did of Wes Studi and Heat and even like Billy Jack. And are, are these all films that, that you appreciate or are you in some ways maybe criticizing some of these films? What, what's driving that? I mean, um, a lot of my work is based on satire, but, you know, most of the subject matter that I use is, is stuff that I that is in my own sort of uh, fan wheelhouse and you know, absolutely uh, was a fan of uh, Lightfoot um, growing up. And it was also um, one of the you know first time when the indigenous actor was in a, an indigenous role. So, um, and same thing for West Duty, like Magua, like everybody knows him for Magua, but um, his role in Heat as a, like a badass with a, with a, oh, sorry, or with a submachine gun <laughs> was like amazing. You know, that kind of blew my mind. Like that was like iconic for me to see him um, just being like, you know, this cool dude in a, in a movie with Al Pacino and uh, Robert De Niro, like, you know, plus plus. And it was just, you know, so iconic for me and, and opened probably a lot of doors for other indigenous actors to come behind him. 
So I, you know, I wanted to sort of uh, commemorate that and then and raise it up to the level of fine art. I remember when he came out and, and West Studio was in it because what was so cool is like you said he was. I, I don't think there's ever a reference to him being native. He's just a cop, and, and you know, unless yeah. you know who West Studi is, you're not going to get it. But, but I always like when I see natives in roles like that where they're just they're just out there because they're good, right? I mean, he's just yeah. a good actor, and he had that presence. So, yeah, that was super cool. And then what about Billy Jack? Or are, are, are you into Billy Jack too? Or we just kind of what was your thought there? Well, you know, I mean, Billy Jack, every every person, every native of a certain age, like, thought they were Billy Jack, you know, in the backyard, spinning around, doing round kicks and all kinds of stuff. So definitely, I mean, uh, when you talk about representation, there were, there were these indigenous characters before that were played by um, people that, you know, were of indigenous blood. But a lot of the characters that, you know, came early were played by non-native actors. And um, we still held on to them because there was so like little indigenous representation. So definitely a big fan of Billy Jack and the actor that um, portrayed him. And it definitely, you know, I grew up watching Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris and all those um, cheesy uh, karate <laughs> movies. And, you know, to see an indigenous one was just like, oh, like, wow, kind of, you know, everybody thought they were Billy Jack. And I think every indigenous person has a little bit of Billy Jack in them these days. Yeah, I totally agree. And I almost feel now, like here in 2023, you could almost like split Indian country in half. Like half of us like really like Billy Jack and think it's really cool. And, and the other half's kind of like, oh, I don't know. You know, they're just kind of, it's kind of dated and things like that. But yeah, I remember when it came out, it was, it was huge and just such a big deal. And now, Frank, another aspect of your life that I find really interesting is that your parents met at the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, and you were actually born there in the mid-1970s. And how big an impact was that, having grown up in that environment? Um, it was a big impact. You know, I'm, I'm one of, uh, you know, there's a joke at the Institute of American Indian Arts, um, IAIA babies. You know, I'm, I'm one of many IAIA babies, like, they find out where your parents are from. They're like, how did they meet? Like, my dad's from Idaho. My mom's from New York. Like, at, you know, Indian art school, of course. And um, so there's a lot of uh, second and third generation IA, IA uh, kids that that can say that. But um, when uh, when my parents went there, it was still a boarding school. And it was the air quotes golden age of the uh, Institute of American Indian Arts. And his instructors were like Alan Hauser and Fritz Shoulder, and he was uh, best friends with P.C. Cannon and Kevin Redstar and Earl Biss. And um, so there was a lot going on at the time and, and uh, definitely grew up um, in and around those characters around Santa Fe. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it definitely had a, um, an impact on sort of my early childhood being in and around these. I didn't know who those people were at the time, but, you know, hearing stories and, and being at barbecues with them is definitely um, sort of gave me a, a, a some sort of foresight about, you know, the contemporary indigenous art world going into it. Yeah, for sure. Now, in addition to painting, you're also a musician. And, and at one point you almost pursued that as a, a full-time career, but what pulled you back to painting, Frank? Well, you know, I'm, I was a musician in New York uh, in a band called uh, No Good Reason, and we were, you know, we were making progress. We we're doing pretty good, but uh, you know, I was pretty young. I was when we started. I was like 15, and when I left, I was like 18 or 19. So I just uh, 
you know, at that time when you're a young man, and especially a young indigenous man, you're like trying to figure out like what you want to do um, for the rest of your life. And I kind of, uh, I just felt like um, I was out of high school. I was like working at this all night gas station, like from 11 to seven and in community college. And I decided that, you know, I, I, there was maybe something out there in the world that I should go check and see what it was. And I started uh, going to school at the Institute of American Indian Arts as a writing major uh, initially. And then I started um, in the studio as a painting uh, elective. And then, uh, and then after that, I kind of uh, decided to do, do uh, you know, make the commitment to become an artist. And, um, you know, it's, uh, music is always going to be there and it's always sort of part of what I do because I use a lot of song lyrics and, and song references in my work as well. And I think you use a lot of the same muscles um, making music as you do making painting. So um, just kind of just uh, focus my creative process in a different direction, but I'm also you're creating in very much the same way I feel. Mm -hmm. Now, Frank, one of your quotes that I, I, I really admire and appreciate is, is you talk about how a, a painting you could you could continue a painting forever it never really has to stop and as an artist you make that determination yourself you decide when to stop and, and when you want to move on and um i i really like that analogy because you think it, it really makes me think almost like a, like a painting as as a living being and that it has a life and that life can just continue and continue and continue and ha have you always kind of looked at it that way or is that just uh an idea that you've kind of just developed over over all these years of painting and your evolution as an artist no no it definitely came after years and years and years and hours and hours in the studio and thousands of horrible paintings um i think it, it it's um it definitely is a living being to me or, or it definitely has energy in it i think you know the vibrations that um are in paintings are an extension of the artist and I think, you know, that's what, that's one thing that people respond to is, you know, the energy, the creative energy that brought the composition. And it is, you know, a way for an artist to leave some of that energy, even just a little bit with the, with the uh, piece. And then it'll continue a life um, without the artist out in the world. And then after he's gone, there's, uh, he or she's gone, they're, you know, going to um, still have that. So I definitely, um, arrived at that way of thinking over probably it took me about 15 or 20 years to, to get to that point because when I started out when I was in school I thought you know you had to work on a painting for like 10 or 20 years for it to be a masterpiece like the old you know renaissance painters and um, I found that you know it's, it's all about cumulative knowledge and you, you, you gather that knowledge for say 25 years and it takes you a day or two or sometimes a couple hours if you're doing like a live painting or a mural to do something it's uh, it's not about how long it takes to make it you know time-wise it's about the cumulative uh experience you've gained over the years and be able to make the paint do you know what you want it to do mm -hmm. i've also heard you say that you know you look at your artwork and some people might look at it and think well you know he's poking fun at like cultural appropriation and, and like non-native people that, you know, like some of these like, oh, geez, like there was a Victoria's Secret runway um, and all the models were like wearing headdresses and, and you kind of spoofed that. And it was very much like a, a take on, or you, you really had something strong to say about what that means with regard to appropriation. But then in other ways, 
you know, some of these images, I, I think that there's an inspiration there. And what really comes across is that there can be a very fine line between what we think of as inspiration and appropriation. And when do you know the difference, Frank? Um, it's about the intent. I mean, basically, that's where the that's where the line is. And it's, you know, very fine. And um, sometimes I have, uh, you know, second thoughts about some of the subject matter that I that I work with, but it is basically what your intention is. And if I'm reproducing that image um, to glorify the commodification, that's one thing. But if I'm reinforcing that image with the intention of creating a conversation about that appropriation and you know how uh, it has an effect on indigenous people, um, that's another thing. And um, first and foremost, with my work, is like I'm I'm pro-indigenous. And that doesn't mean that I'm like anti anything else, but it's just, you know, when I'm when I'm working, I'm thinking about indigenous people and indigenous perspectives and, you know, how um, my work can, um, you know, ally with, you know, where we're all going. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's that that fine line is a is a tradition in satire or satirical work. And, it's you know, sometimes it's it's razor thin, but I think it comes down to the. the intention of the artist like what are they trying to what are they trying to do with the work and um you know sometimes people don't take the time to look at the title or figure out what it's all about and you know that's part of the fun too it's like you know any reaction is a good reaction i guess you know from art that's what you're after really yeah it really is and let's go ahead and take a caller now we have michael listening in Jemez pueblo new mexico on kunm Hello, Michael. Thanks for calling in today. Yeah, there's a lot of things that came to my mind just listening to this conversation, like the like the painting going on and on. I think that comes and uh, in, in just uh, indigenously, and in, it's, it's in our DNA. You know, it depends on where if you if you've been active in religious and ceremonial uh, uh, uh in your tribe, you automatically got that uh, view of eternity or even pre-birth. But pre-birth, we don't know that about that part. You know, but but it is there and also uh when you're talking about uh billy jack you know it was filmed in and around santa fe and when i was up there uh we were the we were the rival school up the road at st catherine's and uh but i had a cousin going to school there when it was filmed and then watching the film i could see a lot of students uh, high school students when iaia was a high school boarding school that were in that movie and also the really magnificent shots of uh santa clara canyon and in and out of santa fe and uh it just it just brings a lot to my mind and also it's 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 uh, I, you know my my son is an artist he was uh, on your show a while back and i'm an artist uh, from way back and oh, it runs deep in our blood even the potters and the jewelers they all have that they all have that intrinsic thing in them that uh design line uh the sun the moon all all of nature it just comes it just comes through it you know and uh, I, I appreciate this uh conversation that's going on and and you're you're, you're doing a fine work of uh presenting it there thank you well michael thank you for for calling in as well and, uh, and of course michael toya and he mentions his son michael toya jr both fantastic native artists who've been featured on native america calling and frank feel free to to respond to michael there it sounds like you've got a big fan in hey miss pueblo yeah, no, I mean, I, I grew up in Santa Fe. I was 
uh, one of the few people that can say that I was born there. So I know what he's talking about, the, uh, those, the fight scenes out in front of the courthouse in downtown Santa Fe. And, you know, there are um, lots of uh, Native people in the background in that movie. So I think that's one of the amazing things about filmmaking in New Mexico. Um, you know, it came back, it was encouraged in the, uh, uh, the late 90s, early 2000s. And, um, yeah, definitely, I think um, as Indigenous people, we, you know, it's always been my perspective that time is not linear, it's, you know, cyclical, like it's uh, in a circle. So, you know, for, for art and, and creations to go on, you know, continue on infinitely is, you know, right in line with all that stuff. So, yeah, I appreciated his perspective and his call. Well, right on, Frank. We've got to take another short break, but anyone else with a question or a comment for Frank Buffalo Hyde, phone lines are open, 1-800-996-2848. Support for journalism that raises the awareness of child well-being to citizens and to policymakers provided by the Annie E. Casey Foundation, building a brighter future for children, families, and communities. Information at aecf.org. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Join today's conversation with artist Frank Buffalo Hyde. Our number is 1-800-996-2848 or just 1-800-99-NATIVE. And and Frank, another aspect of your art that I admire so much is, is there's a real bravery that comes across. Like you're just not afraid to put your thoughts, to put your feelings on the canvas, and you you don't run away from controversial topics. But I got to ask you, I mean, do you ever have like an idea for something and it just seems really great and you start working on it and then maybe you go to bed, you wake up the next morning and you say, no, you know what? I just don't think the world's ready for that yet. I, I don't think that's a story that, that's ready to be told. Do you ever feel like that or you just put it all out there every day? No, I'd be lying if I said I didn't. You know, I definitely have probably half a dozen pieces that are kind of just like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not there yet. I'm like, I'll save it for like my, uh, my retrospective when I'm like 75 or 80, then, uh, you know, then I'll be able to uh, feel like I can do something like that. But usually it's something that happens um, in popular culture and I have an idea, like a reaction to it, like immediately. And then I kind of like go through sort of the checklist and be like, um, but you know, cause I'm very conscious about what I put out in the world and, you know, I'm not out there. Um, I'm not out to like hurt anybody or, you know, um, it's just, uh, like you said, it's just, um, you know, what I, my point of view in the choices that I made in my career. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good question. I, you're the, you're the first person that's ever asked me that, you know, definitely true. I, um, I never get as, far to you know as far as like making the piece i always just kind of like edit ideas in my mind before i make them and then i i you know i've got a i've got a file in the back of my in the back of my head that has you know those uh not safe for work um too hot for tv kind of uh uh, (laughs) subject matter but they'll come out they'll come out someday eventually yeah someday 
Yeah, well, yep. the world will be waiting for sure. Just, just maybe not quite ready yet, but, but I'll, I'll be waiting patiently. And, and Frank, I've also heard you quoted as saying, nowadays people don't really have to paint anymore with the digital age, and there's apps that you can turn a picture into a photograph or a drawing. But do you still feel the need to encourage young native people to paint? And if so, what's the value of still just picking up a brush and working with paints as opposed to all these? tools we have these tech tools that we can use yeah no i definitely um i uh i that's exactly how i see technology as a tool you know it definitely will help an age an artist to sort of getting closer to the you know the visions that they see behind their eyes and sort of how it's translated out into like the world but um that's just that they're just tools and nothing can ever um take the place of the human hands and um, to build on that, I think drawing is fundamental. I think, you know, drawing is, you know, it's a foundation that everybody needs to learn how to do that before they can progress on to do any sort of painting or sculpting. Um, so I think um, I'm also like, I'm kind of like a romantic and I'm, I think painting is noble in a lot of ways because it has such a long tradition. You know, for us, we used to uh, do like... Um, paintings on um, walls and things to let people know like where the good water was and where to hunt and stuff like that. And then coming forward, it was a way to sort of disseminate news of like um, battles and shipwrecks and, you know, all that kind of thing. So it's definitely a way to sort of comment and preserve the time that we live in. And also, um, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't do it if, if I, if I thought it was going to go away, like every 10 years or so, or 20 years, everyone, somebody declares that painting is dead, man. Like painting's never gonna die. Just, you know, it's, it's too, there's too um, many variables. It's too rich and, you know, of a, of a media to um, fall by the wayside. So, um, you know, I think it's definitely gonna be here to stay. You know, paintings might be levitating paint, paint strokes in a in an app or in a hologram but you know you still got to make the paint stroke somewhere but um yeah that's kind of how i feel about it right right and i know you also like we mentioned earlier uh, a lot of your inspiration it comes from political issues from social issues and i've heard you say like as an artist you you, you didn't want to like get really bogged down in like painting landscapes or sunsets and things like that because you said well there's enough beauty in nature and and, and what you want to do is rather than recreate what's already out there you want to comment on it and i thought that was just so profound i'd never heard another artist describe it that way but uh you do you comment on so many different aspects of of art and, and just society and, and do you have any any pieces that are you're especially proud of or your most favorite that you'd like to talk about or share or do you pretty much just have like do you love all your stuff i'm curious because it just seems like you have so much work out there you must have some favorites well i mean i definitely i'm like i'm not one of the artists that are like that loves everything that they do there's like some work that i see from like when I started out, um, and I'm like, wow, it's like seeing like a picture of yourself, like when your family took of you when you were like in high school or middle school, and you're like, oof, and you feel like as a painter, you've progressed. Um, 
But for myself, I mean, I, if I'm always improving as an artist, I think that's what I'm more interested in. And, and my favorite painting is the next one that I'm going to do. Like, I'm not so attached to my work that I can't ever see it go out the door. And, um, but I, having said that, I do, I do paint the occasional landscape in still life. But it's just, um, you know, my work and the, and the choices I made in my career, you know, is, um, is much more content orientated. It's much more, um, I always say my work is good and good for you, but it's, um, but it's also like just to be indigenous is to be political, just to be alive is to be political, like to survive the attempted genocide, you know, that we, that we did, um, you know, and it's not over. We're, you know, we've made a lot of progress, but there's still a lot of uh, policies in place to limit the success of indigenous people across the country and, you know, take our resources from us. So, you know, we, we should applaud ourselves from how far we've come, but we still have got a long way to go. Frank, let's take another caller. We have Jen, who is listening online in East Texas. Hi, Jen. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you so much. I'm glad I called in on time because it occurred to me that as an artist myself and a writer and uh, being Cherokee, and I agree, you if you are uh, American Indian, you are political. And with having said that, I'd like to ask um, ask the artist if he ever has even considered doing uh, or, or making disposable art as some people are good at. And what is your take on that? And thank you. All right. Thanks for. Thank you, Jen. Appreciate it. Uh, Frank, Jen's question regarding disposable art. Have you ever thought about pursuing that? I'm not really clear exactly what disposable art is. Maybe you could help us out with that, Frank. Um, I think, you know, I'm not really sure what disposable art is, is either. I mean, maybe art that's not permanent. I mean, I think, um, I think mural art is kind of that way. Like most of the murals that I've done have been sanctioned by some organization, but, you know, Inevitably, it always has the chance of being buffed out by, like, like the uh, actual taggers. So, I mean, um, you know, disposable art. I guess you know, it's uh, the concept is, is seems fine to me, but um, I've never been in a situation where you know it was labeled disposable art, and not really sure what that is. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us more about your murals, Frank, because I know you've done quite a few of those. Yeah, I did a, a mural for the railway corridor in Albuquerque for the city of Albuquerque um, that got buffed out. But, you know, I guess I think it's an honor to get buffed out by, by a graffiti artist in some circles. And then I've, uh, I did a, a couple huge murals in uh, Santa Fe, one at the Science Building at the Institute of American Indian Arts. And then um, I did another one in um, Charlotte, North Carolina with an artist named Rico Rennie. He's an international Australian um, indigenous artist. And um, I did one at the flagship Meow Wolf in Santa Fe. Um, it's uh, like an 18 by 25 foot mural that's uh, on permanent display there, I'm told. So, um, yeah, those, and I think a lot of ways mural uh, painting is a lot easier than studio canvas work because, like, you have to come up with a concept and then sort of, you know, uh, fit it to the to the size of the space, and then it's just a matter of mapping it out and then uh, making it making it happen. 
Yeah. Right on. Well, Frank, I know you've also done a a little bit of, of acting work. You were in an episode of the show Longmire. And is that another avenue you're interested in pursuing, films and television? <laughs> um, well, I've been a fan of Longmire for a long time, and I was in Santa Fe, and I, I used to work um, as an antiques broker with an antiques broker, and a lot of the set designers for like the TV shows and movies that were filming in New Mexico would come through there, and Longmire was one of them, and you know they would you know rent these things for certain sets every time they would come in, and I would like harass the set crew, uh, the set decorators on like when they were going to get me on the show, and it turns out I had an opening on Canyon Road in Santa Fe. And the producer of the show, Longmire, was there, and the, the gallery owners introduced me to him. And I, you know, he, you know, told me he was producing Longmire, and I was like, "Oh, no way! I, I've been harassing your set decorators for years to get me on the show." And he said, "Oh, <laughs> I can hook you up, man. Is you know, um, come by here and here, and you know." So I was a, uh, I was extra in the Red Pony um, bar with Lou Diamond Phillips one day. I think it was season five. I'm in the background. But it was um, it was super fun. I learned a lot from that. And uh, you know, the producer showed up on set while we were shooting, and he uh, had me stand up and introduce me to everybody. He was like, "This is Frank Buffalo. He's an amazing artist, but he's a crap extra. But he's an amazing artist." Everybody <laughs> just laughed. So, yeah, I was like, you know, as an extra, yeah, they're like, "Don't look at the camera." And I guess maybe I looked at the camera once or twice. <laughs> I remember back in the day, Longmire, they were just filming nonstop all over Santa yeah. Fe. <laughs> like every, almost every day you drive by something going on. And well, Frank, oh, yeah, tell, us, sure. tell us more about your family. I know your, your wife, she's an artist and you mentioned your daughter earlier. Yeah. My wife is a, a ceramicist. She's a sculptor and uh, installation artist. Um, she's pretty amazing. She's had uh, her work um, shown at the Met, um, in New York City, and she has a currently has a retrospective at the Hector Museum on Long Island. My daughter is 12, and she this was her first day of uh, eighth grade today, and she's um, you know she's super talented. She has no idea like how talented she is, and uh, you know she can go in a lot of different directions. But you know um, we're not I'm not going to force her to go into the art world. I'm hoping for science. You know we we have biology. We have biologists on both sides of the family, so um, we'll see. Um, but you know, I, I just tell her all the time. I was like, I don't, I really don't care like what you do as long as you're happy and healthy. Like, you know, I'm fine. You know, you don't, you don't have to be an artist. And Frank, other artists, native artists, or, or other artists, uh, who do you look for for inspiration and uh, and guidance with regard to your art? Um. You know, for a long time, when I was in Santa Fe, I would go to openings, like I'd find out what an opening was and, you know, an artist whose work that I like or was looking at. And I would go to the opening, the day of the opening, while they were setting up, like in the afternoon, but not, you know, when they were having the actual opening. So I could see the work or I would wait like a week after the opening to go take a look at the work. And I did that for a lot of years, um, you know, just studying the surface of the work and sort of you know, how they presented the work and titles and all that kind of stuff. Um, um, and, you know, as I started getting farther and farther along in this, like, I um, I don't really go to openings anymore. Like, I, I, the only openings I go to are my own. But I think, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of talented artists out there. And growing up, you know, of course, all of, 
everybody was influenced by like all the artists from the golden age of uh, contemporary indigenous art. And I'm also influenced by um, German expressionist painters like George Baselitz and um, uh, Anselm Kiefer and uh, artists from the, you know, the New York City with William de Kooning um, and Jasper Johns and Robert Rauschenberg. But, um, you know, so I, a lot of my work is, um, is sort of uh, inspired by a lot of um, international artists that are not just, you know, necessarily just indigenous people um, with indigenous perspectives, but it's kind of, you know, um, I, I take, I gather from all of those art fields and sort of, you know, um, take what I like and, and then um, not use the rest. Wide range of influences for sure, Frank. And the exhibit Native Americana at the Everson, it's going to wrap up this weekend. And unfortunately, probably many of our listeners, they won't get a chance to see it before it closes. But where can people go, Frank, to see more of your art and get more of an idea of what you're all about? Well, you can check out my website at uh, www.frankbuffalohide and all my social media is my full name, Frank Buffalo Hyde, uh, last name spelled H-Y-D-E on Instagram and um, Facebook. And, you know, you can usually see what I'm up to on there. And I, I post new work and work in progress a lot. And I do have a, a pretty high social media profile. Um, and then uh, on my website, I don't offer prints in my paintings, but what I do have is original paintings on paper. And I offer those as a sort of like a lower price point, um, you know, an alternative to like 10 or $15,000 canvases. I have, you know, affordable paintings on paper. All right. Well, Frank, thank you again for joining us. This has just been such a fun conversation and I have learned so much just talking to you. Take care and good luck going forward, okay? You too, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You bet. Well, folks, uh, that was Frank Buffalo Hyde. Uh, and thank you again, Frank, for that conversation about your life and your artistry. Folks, listen to Native America Calling again tomorrow. We're going to have another conversation focused on Native topics and perspectives. Hope you'll join us. Do you want to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help. The SBA was a true partner for us, and that's how I was able to grow the business. You can get free counseling. You can get help with finance, understanding your books, marketing, and strategies. And there's lots of mentors that can help you reach the next level of your business. For your small business needs, go to sba.gov start. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. Support provided by Amerind. Amerind is 100% tribally owned and partners with tribes and their businesses to provide affordable commercial insurance coverage, protect tribal sovereignty, and strengthen Native American communities by helping to keep dollars in Indian country. Information about property, liability, commercial auto, and workers' comp available at amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. 
Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.